We're in a great series from this rich, rich book called Romans. Um, it's just uh, so weighted with uh, biblical content, the heart of God. It summarizes the Christian experience. As we looked into the book of Romans and we continue through it, we began with the whole prospect and problem of sin, chapters 1 through 3. And then we've traveled beyond the problem of sin into the idea that Christ came and offers to all of us salvation. Chapters 4 and 5 and 6, they're kind of mixed in there with the salvation by faith alone. And then chapter 7 is sort of a pivotal hinge chapter as it moves from the struggle of I want to do the right thing, but I don't do the right thing, and help me with that journey. And then Paul takes us to Romans 8, where we are now and will be uh, in a couple of weeks. And Romans 8 is where that new resurgence of sanctification, the Spirit-controlled and led life. And so if you desire to be set free from the things of sin, to enjoy the salvation that Jesus died to provide for us, free of charge, by faith alone, then this chapter is a critical chapter, and it's an amazing little section we're going to look at today. Set free from the groanings of our lives. How many of you wake up this morning and, as you were sort of rolling out of your Tempur-Pedic mattress, uh, groaned? Any groaners? Boy, you know, and I was I'm doing some uh, house projects uh, this last couple of years and some uh, restoring and rebuilding and tearing out, and I uh, can't tell you how many, how many days I wake up and I got that lower back pain groan. Anybody have any lower back pain groan? Boy, is that annoying. And so this morning, I want to be your therapist. I'm going to draw you into the reality that uh, God wants us to be set free from our groans. And you will see that. You have an outline that is available. You'll notice that in the outline, the way... And the reason I put outlines in here, I'm kind of a stickler on that for everybody who would preach up here, but uh, I believe it's kind of a road map. And every so often you get lost along the way, and you think, oh, let's see, I fell asleep. Where are we? And it kind of brings you to the road map of where we need to be. And so uh, set free from the groans of this world. We're going to talk about that. And then we see we're going to be set free from the groans of our bodies. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to see that we're set free through the intercessory work of, G- of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit groans for us. The word groan is a big word in this section. Let me read it for us. And notice the numbers of times that you see the word groan or groaning. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth and together until now. Then he moves on to the body. And not only this, not only the creation groans, but not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope 
we have been saved. But hope that's seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches his, the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so this morning we're talking about being set free from groaning. There are people groaning this weekend. You know, we have uh, from the extreme, from drought to this, what's happening up in Glendora and Azusa. There's people groaning. Nature is groaning. There's catastrophe as uh, people are being swallowed up in mud. I just learned this morning that uh, we had a flood in here on Friday. All the water, all the up to the eighth row there, so was uh, under water. And so uh, um, here's a little tip. Never build a building underneath ground level. Just, I'm not a builder, I'm not a developer, but just a little tip. It'll save you money down the road. But we have things in creation that groan. And so this morning, I want us to be set free from the groans of this world. The world that we are living in, for we know that the whole creation groans, has disasters. I was looking on the web, on the internet, and found this particular website, and they listed the six natural disasters of 213, 2013, that left us more unprepared than ever. So the most devastating disasters that they say happened in the history of the world were in the Philippines, the massive flood that took place. Uh, this website says there has been in the history of mankind no greater disaster on creation than this particular flood. Uh, they, they overlooked Noah, but that's okay. But this is the devastation that happened in the Philippines, and it was just a terrible, terrible situation. And people are still literally digging themselves out of that terrible disaster. And then we saw that as a result of some earthquakes, island created earthquakes in Pakistan, and that there are new islands now. It's interesting, this particular website says, so far we've not been able to link this earthquake with climate change. But they're crossing their fingers just in case. It was interesting how they not fully determined that it was climate change, but they think maybe something to do with that. And then there was tornadoes that took place in Oklahoma City this last year. And the terrible, terrible loss of even the little children. And uh, it's just so grievous to think about the groaning that took place there. And in India, with a cyclone that came through there, and the utter flooding and devastation that took place, and the drought that is occurring in Africa. The website, it says, the U.S. and Europe are at fault for the drought in Africa because of the pollution that we put out. But uh, whether it's our fault or someone else's fault, there is groaning that is taking place, and there was a hurricane uh, down in Mexico this last year. These are the groans. This is what Paul is talking about. 2,000 years ago, creation was groaning then. It's still groaning today. And so there's a reality that this creation is not real well-suited. And uh, for those who believe in evolution, there's something terribly wrong because evolution typically would be telling us things are evolving to get better. In point of fact, things are not getting better. There are greater disasters that are occurring around the world 
today, as some of these have recorded in this particular article, than has ever been taking place in the history of mankind. And so we see these natural disasters. And so how do we approach, first of all, the groans of creation? Three things I noticed that Paul teaches us about this very relevant topic with all the talk about either whether it's global warming or climate change or whatever the terminology that people use, there is groaning going on. And so there are things that are either true or political or they are false. But nevertheless, what Paul says here in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed for us. How do we as believers respond to the creation's groans? Number one, we discover God's perspective on this suffering. We begin to look at it through God's eyes. Those of us who have a biblical worldview and a biblical mindset, we begin to see the disasters that occur around this world through the eyes of God. And God's eyes wants us to look this way. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. And what this verse is saying is that we don't deny the reality of what's taking place because there is a creation that is groaning. We, we are not in denials. We don't stick our heads in the sand. We're not big deniers that there's disaster taking place. Of course there is. But this word for anxious longing, uh, I'm always intrigued by the language that Paul uses. And often the Greek words that Paul uses have a literal insightfulness to them to help us to understand the anxious longing. Here is a breakdown of that Greek word for anxious longing. It comes from three words. Apo, which is a Greek word that often you might have heard me say, which means from. Kera, which means head. And then dokeo, which means to look or to watch. And what the Apostle Paul gave to the believers in the first century churches, I want you to have your heads looking up to watch. So what do you watch for? You watch for the revealing of the sons of God. What he's talking about is the second coming of Jesus Christ and all of God's children that come with him. I want you eagerly watching for, with your heads up, don't lose sight of the fact that I'm coming back. This, this penetration of the eyes that does not lose focus on looking up. It's sort of like, uh, I remember when, when um, we were in the uh, delivery room and Jessica and Kirsty were being born. And, um, you know, it's a challenging situation for me. Um, and, of course, Joy had her challenges too. But, uh, <laughs> but you're going through that together, this symbiotic thing, you know. There's sort of that sympathy, empathy thing. And, and, uh, but I remember as, as Jessica our firstborn was, was being born. And I've never seen this before in my life, this mystery and the marvel of a little girl entering into this world, this little five-pound, nine-inch, little tiny, tiny baby coming into this world. And I had this mirror because I was standing at her head. So there was this mirror so I could watch everything going on. And uh, I thought as my eyes were up, my eyes were were focused totally on that mirror. I could think of nothing. I could have no other distractions. There were nothing else that could dissuade my view of this new life coming into this world. And those of you who have been in that same situation know exactly, I'm sure, what I'm talking about. There was no other thought, no other distraction, but wow, what a mystery. Amazing. 
Here comes life. And then when she took that first breath and cried, you know, nothing else was in my mind but amazing. Look at this new life. What Paul is talking about here is that same anxious longing. It's not anxiety. It's not anxiety like I need some sort of medicine to calm down. No, he's talking about keeping my head up looking forward to this new life of Jesus coming to us. Don't let anything distract you from that which is coming to help us, coming to save us, coming to deliver us, coming to set us free. That's the mindset that the Paul, the Apostle Paul is giving to you and me. When creation disasters surround us, he says, don't lose keeping your head up focused on that which is to come, the arrival, the new arrival of the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is telling us. And so as I have this looking up, the attitude I want to have is the attitude that Paul teaches here. And the attitude is this, that our suffering is temporary. He talks about this, this sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, that our sufferings will reveal a greater glory that is yet to come. In verse 19, for the anxious longing of the sons waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That is, this temporary suffering is going to reveal a greater glory of the return of Jesus and the marvel of that new life that comes into this world and that this suffering causes my eyes to look forward to the return of Christ. It gets my eyes off of this and it's not to live in a crazy denial world. It's not to somehow be disconnected from the reality of the pain around us and the people Uh, but it is to never lose sight and lose hope that there is one who is coming to set me free. Sufferings of this world discover God's perspective. It's temporary. It causes me to look forward, and there's a greater glory yet to be revealed. A person who sort of captures that idea, let me illustrate it, is this uh, Johnny Erickson Tata that uh, I love her story. When she was a teenager, she drove into a body of water, broke her neck, became a quadriplegic. She's a believer in Jesus Christ, and God has used her in marvelous ways because she's a quadriplegic and uh, has testified around the world, including she was nominated, um, I think it was for an Academy Award for her song for one of the movies that's out right now. And they took the Academy Award nomination away from her uh, when they realized, uh, ooh, it's a Christian singing this thing. And so that's how relevant. She's still as relevant as could be. So she sings, and uh, God uses her artwork. But here is what she said about being a quadriplegic. And she's probably in her 50s at least now. And so for many decades, she's been living this life in a chair. Here's what she said. I can't wait to go to heaven. And I look forward to heaven so much because not only will I paint murals, but I'll have back use of my hands and I'll really will jump up, dance, kick aerobics. And I hope I can take this wheelchair to heaven with me. But if I could, I would take it with me and I would be standing next to my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I would say, Lord, do you see this wheelchair? Well, before you send it to hell, I want to tell you something about it. You were right. When you said in this world we would have trouble, and there's a lot of trouble being a quadriplegic, but you know what? The weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you, and the harder I leaned on you, 
the stronger I discovered you to be. Thank you for the bruising of a blessing. It was the severe mercy. Thank you. That is what Paul is talking about here. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not to be worthy compared with the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. She has her eyes, her head focused up, not losing sight of the God who's coming for her to set her free from the groans of this world. With this groaning, we need to remember, secondly, not just discover God's perspective, but remember why we're groaning. Why is this world groaning? Why is there pain and suffering in this world today? It's because the Apostle Paul wants to take us all the way back to Genesis. He talks about the curse that, that uh, happened on the world and the curse that happened in Genesis chapter 3. And I just want to remind us very quickly of this because we don't have time to get into it and I've been touching on it time and again. But here is what Paul is saying in verse 20. He says, remember that this was not voluntary. This is what God did to us. God cursed this world in Genesis 3 because Adam and Eve sinned. This is the curse. And here are the three things that caused God to curse this world. And why should we remember this? Because we don't want to repeat history. We don't want to keep doing it, but it's happening. We could cite countless examples of these three things occurring today. The first thing that happened that God caused God to curse the world is in Genesis 3, 1 through 3. The serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And it's that question, Indeed, has God said? Indeed, is that what Bible teaches? Indeed, is this book trustworthy? Indeed, is God still speaking truth to us today? Or can we alter the truth? Can we distort the truth? Can we deny the truth? Can we downplay the truth? Can we spin the truth to suit our own desires? Can we reinterpret it in light of today's society that we need to be more relevant and more understanding of the changes that are occurring around us? The reason God cursed this creation, according to Romans 8.20, is because there was a mindset given to Adam and Eve from Satan that God's truth is not always true. Indeed, has God said. Secondly, to dismiss accountability and consequences when I do not obey God's truth. Verse 4, you will surely not die. You can deny God's truth and not worry about suffering consequences. You can change God's truth and not have to have any accountability for how you live your life. You can alter God's truth and never fear that God will bring any kind of judgment against you. Because we're a non-judgmental people today. How dare us to ever say certain things are still wrong? So, second reason God cursed the world because there was a denial of any accountability and consequences of the denial of God's truth. So God cursed the earth. And the third thing you see on the screen, to determine your own definition of what is right and wrong. I develop my own relativistic, moralistic, humanistic society. Verse 5, God knows that in the day you eat from your, it, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God. You will become your own God. You will become your own God 
to determine your own rules. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, suddenly what was wrong is now a delight. What was a disobedient act became a delightful act. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. What used to be an act of disobedience to God is now a desirable act, something I want to do and have a desire to pursue. She took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband, and he ate. God cursed the earth because Adam and Eve denied the truth, didn't worry about consequences of disobedience to the truth, and thirdly, then became their own little g-gods and created their own morality of what's right and wrong. That's still happening today. And we can just go on forever on that. But I wanted you to know that when Paul wrote in Romans 8.20, and he told us why the creation groans, and he said, For the creation was subjected to futility, emptiness, not willingly. The creation never sought this. The disasters are not something this creation wants to do. But he says, but because of him who subjected it. God subjected this creation to groans because this creation by one man and one woman of truth denial, no consequences, and their own definition of morality was taking place. And God says, okay, curse. Curse the ground, curse your work, curse childbirth. That's the way it's going to be. And that's why we live with it today. So remember why this happened so that we don't repeat history, at least for us. We can't stop everyone else, but at least we need to live the life that God calls us to, to remember that and not repeat that. And then finally, creation groans because, and wants us to understand, the trust in God's sovereign control to set that creation free because He's coming back to do it. That's why 8, 21 and 22 are so great. That the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery. There will be a day when this creation is set free from the slavery to corruption. That word corruption is a term that's used in 1 Corinthians 15 of the body that is placed into the grave and just slowly, slowly deteriorates. He says that's creation. Creation is slowly deteriorating like a dead body. Creation is not evolving to get better. Creation is devolving to get worse. It is a corruptive and corrosive creation. It is enslaved to a corruption that is not going to improve into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He wants to set us free into the glory of God's children when He comes back. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And for every woman who's given birth to a child, you know the pain of childbirth. When the birth of the child occurs, then somehow that new life helps to overcome that old pain. And there will come a day when Jesus will come back and His new life will help us to overcome that old pain. And that's the groaning that we want to overcome. Jesus will set us free. Here's the new creation part. We've looked at things like this before. For example, we know what the new creation will be like from Isaiah 11. In that new creation that is set free from the corruption... The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little boy will lead them. And the cow and the bear will graze. 
And the young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. The weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I love that last line. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Remember what we lost in the garden? We lost the knowledge of God. We lost God's truth. Well, when Jesus comes back and sets free this creation that is now corrupted and getting worse, He's going to recreate it so that animal life changes. There's no more enmity between man and animal and animals and man and man and woman and woman. And not only that, but the reason for that is the knowledge of God covers this earth. He recreates this earth. Revelation 21 and 22. Brand new creation. And uh, that is the hope. How do we help be set free from the creation of the world? We need to discover God's perspective on that suffering. We need to remember why this creation is groaning so we don't repeat history. And that we just need to trust in God's sovereign control that in His time He's going to help stop this. So we live with that faithful hopefulness, that perseverance as He talks about it here. There's the second problem of not just the creation groaning, but there's problem of our bodies groaning. Our bodies will groan. He says here, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. We were cursed in the garden just like the creation was cursed in the garden. So we live with this. And so how do we live with this? We need to realize that even spirit-filled believers will suffer. That's why I was intrigued by this verse 23 that he threw this in. He says in verse 23, and not only this, but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves. What is fascinating to me, why did he, I was thinking to myself, why did he tell us that we have the first fruits of the Spirit, that the Spirit is in us? And then he says, even we will suffer. Because there's a lot of people that think if I'm suffering, I must be in sin. Sort of the Job uh, phenomenon that goes on. you got Job's friends, you, know, you must be sinning against God. There's a lot of Spirit-filled believers that suffer. And God says, that's reality. That's true. And I need to realize that the Spirit in me gives me a capacity to deal with suffering unlike others who do not have that spirit living within me. Remember, he says he adopted us into his family. We became his sons and daughters. We became his children. And I inherit everything that God has. Remember I said last week that in Roman society, when you adopt a child, in Roman society, all past debt of the child that's been adopted is erased. All past faults are forgotten. That child that is now adopted into the Roman family begins a fresh new life where there is no past debt, no past obligation, no past pain that comes back to hurt them today. They're set free from that because now they're the child of this new Roman citizen, this new Roman dad, this new Roman mother, and this new Roman child in this new family has everything, owns everything that mom and dad now own and will gain everything that mom and dad has someday. And so Paul says, you have that spirit that adopted you into that family. And so even though you are adopted into that new family, you still have a reality that even spirit-filled believers walk in pain. Even you will groan. And so, you know, I remember years ago, 
we were with a, a group of pastors, and we were taking prayer requests around the room. And um, we were talking about visiting so-and-so in a hospital, and this person, and that person, and the pain, and the, and the suffering, the cancer, and all the, the tough stuff that a lot of Christians go through. And I remember this one pastor of one particular denomination said, we never have to go to the hospital. Our believers in our church are spirit-filled. They don't get sick. After I strangled him, we took him to the hospital so he could find out what it's like. No, I didn't. But there's something in my heart that, was, that hurt. Something about that that's painful for me. That somehow, because I have a certain spiritual, spirit-led thing, that I am exempt? Not true. Not true. So Paul says, I want to encourage you with that. And then secondly, I want you to encourage to learn to wait eagerly for our newly redeemed bodies. And I talk about our newly redeemed bodies a lot here because that's, that's an everlasting hope. I put on the back side of the Digging Deep that I encourage you to take a look at. Every time this word, wait eagerly, see that word, wait eagerly up here? Every time that word is used, it's used seven times in the New Testament. Waiting eagerly or eagerly waiting is used seven times in the New Testament. Every single time you see that word eagerly waiting or waiting eagerly used, it is always used of waiting eagerly for Jesus to come back and give me a new body. Always it's used that way. So the Apostle Paul says, I, I don't want to just play games with you. I don't want you to live in sort of this, again, worldly denial and sort of uh, uh, detached from the reality of life around us and people that have needs. I don't want you to live that way. But I do want you to have in the midst of the groaning, I want you to have this eagerly awaiting for the adoption of sons, the redemption of the body, when my finally my salvation is completed. Our salvations are not completed here today. My soul is saved. Jesus has given to me His righteousness. God looks at Dave Mitchell, and believe me, this is hard for you to imagine, I know, but when God looks at Dave Mitchell, God sees the righteousness of Jesus, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We talked about being clothed in one of the songs we sang. Clothed with His righteousness. But when you look at me, you see a 62-year-old body, and you make judgments about that. <laughs> well, not all of you. Some of you are, well, I'm not gonna, I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We, we look at each other, and we make judgments about how we look. But when God looks at us, you, should, you just simply you say, hey, you, you gain some weight, you're losing some hair, it looks a little grayer, or, you know, what's going on with you? You should see what God sees. Because God sees righteousness. And that's the beauty of being adopted into His family. And so I want to learn to eagerly await the redemption of my body. I look forward to that day when I don't have titanium knees and sore lower backs and sinuses that never seem to clear up. <laughs> don't you look forward to that day? That's what's great. The more my body aches today, the more I say, wow, I can't wait for heaven. Because those of you who are perfected in your bodies, what's there to look forward to? And those of us who have broken down bodies, there's a lot to look forward to. And so I eagerly await that. So when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, say, praise God that my body has not been redeemed yet. But it gives me something to look forward to. Okay? That should be helpful. It should be hopeful, isn't it? You get depressed and you look in the mirror. 
feel like I'm just talking to myself right now. I know, you're thinking, is that a rhetorical question or should I respond? I don't know. Uh, but I just want us to understand when Paul drives home a point like waiting eagerly and every time it's used for the second coming of Jesus, I'll have my body redeemed. That's a wonderful thing. And it's not a pie in the sky. It's a reality for today. And then keep that hopeful perseverance even if we do not see the results now. We won't. Notice 24 and 25. We want to see this, but, as he says in verse 24, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? In other words, I don't see this. I don't see the new body. I don't see the lack of groaning. I don't see beyond the pain that I'm in. I'm having a hard time seeing beyond the reality of my groans. That's because you cannot see what you hope for. If you see it, you have no hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, the redemption of our body, the set free from groaning, the ceasing of suffering, But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Encourage us, Paul says, to persevere on that hope that God is not done. God is still going to set free. God is still going to come back. And so many times when we pray and we say, God, where are you? What's taking so long? Why do I still struggle with this? And that's why then Paul goes into this last issue. And it is this prayerfulness that is so hard for us because we battle with us. But this waiting eagerly, I love this passage. Now little children abide in Him so that when He appears, this eagerly awaiting for when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him and shame at His coming. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, that we would be adopted, that He would erase all past debt and wrongdoing. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared yet what we will be. We know that when He appears we'll be like Him. That's how focused Paul is in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Or John is, I should say. Because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has his hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So what do I do while I wait? I purify myself so that when He comes I can be set free. And this is how we should pray. Set free through the intercession of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. These are, these are challenging two verses. Let me read verse 26 and 27 again. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This, these two verses are often misused. They're often, I believe, misused, and some of you may disagree with me on this, but they are used in a way that s- supports sort of like private praying in tongues. I just don't see that at all. I don't see that... At- There's no reference to that here. But there's a lot of people that pray in their devotional life in tongues. I don't see that here. Here's what I think this passage is telling us. There's two things. Number one, that in my prayer life, I need to admit that I am weak. I am weak, and 
And I don't have all the answers. And frankly, I don't even know how always to pray. So what he says in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit says, you are weak, Dave. I'm weak in heart. I'm weak in emotions. I'm weak physically. I, I, don't, I can't live up to the standard of righteousness, but I want to. So I need the Spirit in me. So when I pray, I want to pray according to God's will. And for example, let me give you an example of what maybe he is referring to here. I know when Joy's mom had Alzheimer's and my mother had congestive heart failure and, um, you know, at that point, they're both with Jesus now. They've been redeemed completely. Neither of them. Uh, Maxine Sloan has a perfect brain. Joe Mitchell has a perfect heart. Uh, they have been given this new life and they no longer have hope because their hope has been fulfilled. Their body has been redeemed. But as they struggled with those two things, Alzheimer's and congestive heart failure, my dad had Parkinson's, as we prayed for them, you know, my prayer life was, hmm, how do I pray, Lord? Do I ask for a complete healing, a miraculous restoration of the cells of the brain that have been shrunken and hardened by Alzheimer's? Do I ask for a brand new heart and lung? That's what my mother needed as a a heart-lung transplant. Would an 80-something-year-old woman, would that be the right thing to pray for? Or do I say, Lord, they've lived a good long life. Please set them free that they would no longer suffer. So, Lord, that sounds harsh. That sounds euthanistic. Why would I ask for the death of my mother-in-law and mother? That sounds cruel. And yet, Father, I know that we have the hope of a redeemed body. So why would I hold back on asking for that which you came to this world to provide? So, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Help me in my lack of understanding on this. And you know, God, you know what God did? God came in the Holy Spirit right there between me and the Father, the Holy God of heaven. The Holy Spirit's in me. The Holy Spirit's interceding for me. And the Holy Spirit's taking my motive, my desire, my struggles, my groans, and groaning to the Father. And say, Father, here is Dave's quandary. Here is what I believe he would say to you. If he had better words and wasn't so weak, this is I believe what he wants. So the father doesn't look at me and say, Dave, snap out of it. Where's your faith? How dare you do this? Or how dare you do that? Or condemn you for thinking such a thought that your mother or mother-in-law should die. How dare you not have enough faith to believe that I can actually come back like Lazarus and heal them perfectly. You know, there's no condemnation because the Holy Spirit is interceding between me and he so that I know the Father hears my prayer. And and that's how we pray. We have loved ones who are not walking with Jesus. And we wish that they would. And I pray regularly that they would be saved, that they would turn from their sinful ways. I say, Lord, how long do I have to keep praying? 
Is like once a week enough every day? Throughout the day? Once a month, just kind of checking in, reminding you? You know, well, what do I do? Because I don't want to do it wrong. And the Holy Spirit intercedes and says, Dave, I'm handling it for you. You just keep asking. I'm interceding and I'm, I'm addressing the issues with the Father with words of groaning. Whatever that groaning is the Spirit does, He's groaning in my behalf, too deep for words. Because this Trinitarian thing of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit somehow is working together to accomplish God's will. It's a great place to live. Isn't it great to know that when my prayers are weak, when my understanding of what I should pray for is weak, I've got the Spirit interceding for me, little old me. It's a great place to be. I'm set free from that. I'm set free through that so that I can finally trust in the Spirit to intercede so we'll pray according to God's will. I don't have to worry about it. Obviously, if I'm praying for sinful things, I know that. But it's these areas of gray that I don't understand. What, what should I do? How should it take place? And how do I struggle with this? The Spirit intercedes. For he who searches my heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, the Spirit's mind and my heart. They combine together so that He intercedes for the saints so God's will is done. And for those of us in this room right now who want to do God's will, we want God's will. We're weak. We're frail. We groan. We complain. We gripe. But when we go to the Father... I want to be set free from the creation's groans by keeping my hope fixed on Him. I want to be set free from the body's groans by eagerly awaiting for the redemption of this body. And when I pray, I want God's will in my prayer life. Even though I'll stumble through it and fail and be confused and won't have adequate words, the words will be wrong. The Spirit says, Dave, I've got it. I've got it taken care of. The Father has heard. The Father's will be done. Be at peace. It's a great place to be. Let me pray. Father God, I thank You that You give to us truth in Your Word designed to help us to grow in our faith, to be the people of God that You want us to be, to glorify and honor Your name. It's not always easy, and You know that. Because we live in a world where the creation groans. We live in a world where our bodies groan. But how much better that we live in a world where the Spirit's groanings supersede all other groans. Father, thank You for setting us free to live the life that is liberated from a creation and a body that suffers so that we know you hear us to do your will. Father, thank you for that as I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the ways we remember that the Father loves us and that it's symbolic of being adopted into his family is he gave to us communion. Communion, the bread and the, and the cup. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus. The cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus. Those two elements symbolize, yes, I've been adopted into his family. I've been set free from my sin, and now I am His child. I want to honor and thank God for that and remember Him.
through these elements. So the bread is going to come and be passed so that we can remember the body of Jesus and know that He is the one who sets us free from all sin. Let me thank the Lord for this bread as it's going to be passed. Father God, thank You for this bread. Thank You for the body of Jesus. Thank You that Christ came to a world that groans, that He Himself took on human flesh, that I suspect there were days when He would groan. He would groan over the sorrow He saw within His own people. But thank You, Lord, that He remains sinless. So He is our sacrifice, that we would remember Him now. In Jesus' name, amen.